Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. All right, well, we're starting a new series today um, as we enter into Lent, and uh, the series is called The Questions of Jesus, and we're going to look at six different questions that Jesus asks um, people throughout uh, his life, and, and so... These are questions like, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, Who do you say that I am? Why are you so worried? Why are you offended? And and so uh, this is going to be a really interesting series. And we want to encourage you throughout these next six weeks uh, to not only engage with this series on Sunday morning, but also throughout the week. As as we go through Lent, we're going to be giving you some questions to think about via Facebook and and some other ways to, to, to process and to have a conversation with Jesus throughout this this season. And so we encourage you to do that. Now, this series is based on a book that was written by Matthew Crossman. And he's a, he's a vineyard pastor, and uh, this is, it's an excellent resource. In fact, I would encourage anybody to go on Amazon and buy his book. The, the title of the book is, Let Me Ask You a Question, Conversations with Jesus. And, and his name is Matthew Crossman. If you want that information, I can get it to you later. It's sold on Amazon. He's, it's a great resource even to, to have throughout this Lenten season because it has weekly reflections, uh, daily reflections throughout it. And so today we're going to start with this question what do you want me to do for you? This is an interesting question uh, that Jesus asked. We're going to focus our attention on the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10 today, particularly the second half. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open them up there t- to Mark 10. We're going to read two stories that Mark presents us with in this, this journey of Jesus as he's going to Jerusalem. And before we dive into the scripture, I want to tell you a little story. Um, as I was reflecting on this message and, and preparing for it, I was, I was reminded of a time in my life when I was in college when, when I was posed with a very similar question to this. What do you want me to do for you? And I, I, had, I had just changed my major from pre-law political science to religion, and I was taking a class that was a supervised ministry class, which is a required course for all religion students. And this is a, the kind of class that you take where you study under a spiritual leader and then you learn the rudimentary parts of the job. And my, my supervisor was Dr. Charles Dixon. And Dr. Dixon was a very prominent man in Waco, Texas. I went to Baylor. In case you don't know that, I'm from Texas. And uh, thank you. Is someone else from Texas here? Oh, that's awesome. Okay, great. Um, all right. We are brethren. Um, good. Anyway, also Facebook Live, Texas people out there. Yeah. I went to Baylor, Sikkim Bears. So in Waco, Dr. Dixon was a very prominent man within the Baptist circles there. And, and uh, he, he, he was the pastor of one of the largest Baptist churches in Waco. And, and so my first meeting with him was filled with all of the hype that I expected to have 
when, when I was, was meeting with this guy of such prominence there in Waco. And, and so we, we sat in his office and uh, he quizzed me about my background so he could know a little bit more about who I was. And, and it kind of went a little bit like this. So he's asking me about my church background and I grew up United Methodist. And so it's like ding one, you know, like, oh, um, then, you know, then he asked me, he said, so tell me a little bit about your major in college. And, and I said, well, I, I'm, I'm pre-law political science. Ooh, I mean, uh, religion, you know, ding two. And then he asked me about what I was hoping to get out of my time there in the supervised ministry. And it was the first time that I had ever really thought about what it would be to be a pastor, what kind of, what would interest me in that. And so, I mean, I made the very best impression on this guy that I possibly could. It was, no, I didn't. It was, it was bad. Like it was, it was really disappointing. But then he asked me, so the lead pastor of one of the largest Baptist churches in Waco, Texas, he asked me, a 19-year-old guy with no real background at all in religious studies, never taken a class, I've, I've never even really, I mean, I've served in church, but, you know, grew up in the church, but just really little to offer. He asked me, what do you want me to do for you? It's interesting because I don't think it's very often that many of us get an opportunity to have someone who has so many resources and, and so much power to offer something like that to, to someone who has nothing else to give. It was, it was a really interesting situation that I was in. And here's the great thing about my journey at that point is that for the next like the rest of my time at college, every semester, I was able to study under all of the different pastors at this large church to help discover my call in ministry. And, and it was about a year after that meeting that the youth pastor at the church left. He, he went to, to take another um, youth ministry at another, another church. And Dr. Dixon gave me leadership of the youth ministry at that church. It was a really great time in my life. And it helped me to clarify my call that God had given to me. It was, it was just a critical moment in my development. So today, as we consider this question that Jesus asks his disciples and then ultimately some other folks, it's important for us to keep in front of our minds, who is the person? Who is the person that's asking this question? What do you want me to do for you? So we have two stories with two very different outcomes. And, and, and these stories are back-to-back -back in Mark chapter 10. And we're going to read verses 35 through 52. And let me give you just a little background here. Jesus is traveling with his disciples to Jerusalem. And this is at the end of his ministry. He's about to enter into Jerusalem for Passover, then ultimately handed over to be killed. And so this is where we, we are in the story. And the disciples at this point, they've seen Jesus perform tons of miracles. They've heard him preach to, to thousands of people. Uh, like word of Jesus has spread far and wide. I mean, it, people know who this guy is. In fact, in, in uh, Mark 10, verses 32 through 34, which leads up to our scripture for today, Jesus is actually talking to his disciples, predicting his death and resurrection, okay? and it, which is important because, you know, well, we'll get there in a minute. So this is where we pick up in the story. Verse 35, you can read along with me, but I always encourage you guys to open up your Bibles and take notes and underline and that kind of stuff. It's okay to write in your Bibles, folks. It's okay. You're not, they won't like, oh, never mind. Um, 
verse 35. Like, imagine lightning striking someone as they're, that will not happen. I can almost promise. So James and John, verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I just have to stop here for a second. Because I'm just thinking about this. Like, here are these two, who are these guys? You know, they know who Jesus is. They know what he's done. And it's like the gall of you. But Jesus... Man, the dude is just chill, right? Um, This is how he responds. And he says to him, what do you want me to do for you? What a gracious, what a gracious man. James and John said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right and one at your left hand in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. For it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And then when the ten, that's the other disciples, when they heard, they began to become indignant with James and John, of course. And Jesus called to them and he said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, we're going to dig into this story a little bit more and kind of understand a little bit what's happening here. Because it, it's, it's, it's an interesting story. But I want to, I want to make sure that we, we also read the other story that backs up to it, like in context together. So we're going to just start here in verse 46. And this is as the disciples are continuing on their way to Jerusalem after this moment with Jesus. So verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho, his disciples and a great crowd... Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, son of Timaeus, was sitting along the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called to the blind man saying, take heart, get up, and he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, Bartimaeus sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So, man like Bartimaeus, men like James and John, nothing to offer or give but only with something to gain from Jesus. You know, and they're asked this question, what, what do you want me to do for you? It's this side of God that is, is quite surprising, I think. Uh, Isaiah talks about it this way. He says, since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You know, we, we may think of an all-powerful God that, that 
that he would be demanding of us, right? But this isn't the experience of so many people throughout the ages at all. I mean, let's just be honest. An all-powerful, all-knowing God knows not to turn to humanity to get what he wants. And I can, I can point my fingers at myself like that, that an all-knowing, all-smart, <laughs> infinite you know, being like, hey, dude, help me out. No, God doesn't need it. In fact, um, Psalm 50, verses 8 through 12 David says this, I bring no charge against you concerning your sacrifices, this is God speaking to us, or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. This is a great line right here. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. (laughs) For the world is mine and all that's in it. I don't need your help, God is saying to us. He doesn't use us to get his way. He doesn't need us. Our relationship with him is based on how he provides for us. And that's why Jesus is asking this question. What do you want me to do for you? See, Jesus can see much clearer than Bartimaeus. He can see much clearer than James and John the things that they actually need. And so he engages them in this conversation. When they approach him, he says, what do you want me to do for you? And here's the interesting thing about Bartimaeus. And this is my first encouragement to you this morning. Bartimaeus, before Jesus came... He was begging for money. And let's just kind of put ourselves in the, in the shoes of the disciples so that we can fully understand uh, what's happening in this moment. So, so imagine you're, you're, you're walking to Jerusalem. You're with Jesus. You've got, you know, his three. So James, John, and Peter. And then there's the, the other nine behind him there, you know, like, and you're, you're all walking. And then there's this greater multitude of people that's surrounding you that are all following Jesus because they've heard him teach. They've seen his miracles. And they're interested in, in being with Jesus, right? And then, so it's dry, it's dusty, it's probably hot, it's uncomfortable. Let's be honest, there's people all around. And then on the side of the road is this man who's been begging for money. He, he knows, he's put himself in a place where he knows people are going to be traveling by on a regular basis so he can say, give me money, I need food, whatever, and hoping that they'll throw coins at him, Right? And then what happens is when Bartimaeus, who's sitting on the side of the road begging for money, realizes that it's Jesus of Nazareth who is coming by, he changes the things that he's saying. He says, I don't need money anymore. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. So, so as the disciples, what they're thinking is, like, this is not just a nuisance of this man whining on the side of the road. Ultimately, what's happening is they're, they're thing, saying, this is a threat. If people know, if a lot of people know that this is Jesus, we could be killed. That's exactly, though, what happened, right? Because a week after, when, when, when Jesus goes into Jerusalem, he's put on trial and he's hung up on a cross. And the disciples are afraid that by Bartimaeus saying this son of David, that he might create a problem for them. But Jesus, so gracious... He takes the time and he stops to engage with Bartimaeus. And then Bartimaeus, he sets the example for all of us. So, before Jesus came, he's asking for money. And then once he knows it's the son of David, 
That's Jesus of Nazareth, Messiah. His response to Jesus changes when Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? He could have asked for anything, but he knew that Jesus could give him everything that he needed. He could heal him completely. That Jesus could fulfill his desires to be made whole. And and so ultimately what happens is we see this, this moment where Bartimaeus is acting in faith, responding to Jesus. This is exactly, Jesus, I believe that you can heal me. It's a, it's a risky act. And, 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 you know, in my own life, I struggle with this. When I pray to God, when I pray to Jesus, I, I, I find myself not praying prayers like Bartimaeus. Alexis and I are, are thinking about moving. We're going to stay in Westerville. Don't worry about it. Um, we're thinking about moving. He was talking about Texas earlier. Is he going back down there? No, no, we're staying here. Um, <laughs> So we're thinking about moving to a bigger house. And as our, as our family grows, we're, we're looking for a house that, that we can be more comfortable in. And even if, as I say that right now, I, I'm a little bit like I'm hesitant because I, I feel like, oh, we, we should be humble. We should be modest. And so maybe it's not okay to say that we want to be comfortable. And, and so, so as, we're, as we're stepping into this process we are, of course, praying. We're inviting God into this journey with us. We're, we're praying, you know, God, go before us and help us in the process of selling our, our house and buying a new one. And, and um, Lord, you know, we, we, we want a house that's in Westerville. And, and you know, just, Lord, help us to find something that's appropriate for us. It's not a bad prayer. I mean, it's not exactly what we pray, but it's not, it's not a bad prayer, right? It, it, it's, I don't know. The truth is that we're editing those prayers. We're not really asking Jesus for the desires of our heart. We're, we're, we're afraid. Maybe it's because we want, we, we want to, you know, we're pious or we want to be theologically correct. We, we feel like, you know, we, we can't ask for too much because, you know, Jeremy's a pastor. And so we've got to be responsible and good stewards. And, you know, we, we can't have too much, you know, so, so God, just, just, just enough, whatever. Or, or maybe it's because we're afraid that if we ask for what we really want that we'll be disappointed when God answers us. And so we're, we're just, we're afraid to it. But here's the reality. One way or another, we are editing our prayers and we're not answering the question that Jesus is asking. What do you want me to do for you? Because if we were, we would be saying something more like this. We'd be saying, God, we want a house that we can be comfortable in. We want a house that's not too far from the church. One where our kids can stay in the schools where they're already making relationships and they love their teachers. God, we want a house where our kids can run around and play and have good friends in the neighborhood. And and God, we want a house that has more than one toilet. Yeah, right. I need some alone time for crying out loud. And we get to this point where it's like, so what if we end up being disappointed? Like if we pray those prayers, who cares if we're disappointed in what happens at the end of the day? At least we're having an honest conversation with God. We're dialoguing with Him about what we want. And that, that conversation, that, that back and forth is what shapes us so that we can become more like Christ. When we come to Jesus with edited prayers, thinking that what we want is not right or, 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 or God wouldn't want it for us, we're not stepping into that conversation with Jesus with faith. 
believing that he can truly answer our prayers. See, that's what Bartimaeus did. He didn't know if Jesus was going to heal his blindness. But he believed that Jesus could heal his blindness. So he asked for it. Now, I imagine uh, some of you might feel a little uneasy with, with where this could head. And I totally get it. There's a lot of false doctrines and false beliefs that say if you name it, then God will do it for you. You know, that, all that kind of stuff. And, and that's not at all what I'm suggesting. You know, it, it, you know, Jesus is not some vending machine that we can just go up to and tell him what we want. And then it's delivered to us. He's not there to simply provide everything that we want. And, and this is precisely why I think reading the story of Bartimaeus in context with the story of James and John is so critically important. Because the same question that is asked, Jesus asked James and John the same question that he asked Bartimaeus, but the responses are very different. Jesus did not give James and John exactly what they asked for, thankfully for them. Let's talk about that for a second. See, see, James and John, even though Jesus asked, and, and this is what I, 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 sometimes I wonder, and, you know, hindsight 2,000 years later is, is 2020, right? We know what ultimately happened to, to Jesus. But James and John, even though Jesus told them three times previous that, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be hung on a cross I'm going to be buried in a tomb for three days, and then I'm going to be resurrected. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says it three times, Mark 8, 9, and 10. Jesus says it to James and John before this conversation that we read about today. But they still don't quite get it. And I don't know exactly what they were thinking, but it seems like they're still expecting some kind of political takeover that Jesus is going to have, that's going to, that's going to overthrow the Roman government, reinstall uh, the, the Israelites to power, and Jesus is going to reign on this throne. I think that's what they were expecting, rather than ultimately seeing that Jesus is not reigning on a throne, but really he's reigning on a cross. That's the glory that he had. So Jesus knows that James and John are not ready to be on his right and left when he reigns on that cross. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. Now, they would get it eventually. Now, I love this. So in this moment, James and John, I mean, just think about it for a second. If Jesus had said yes, okay, James and John, you want to sit at my right my left? That's fine. Okay, you can. I'm hanging on a cross. James, you're over there. Jesus, you're over there. Also hanging on a cross. They would feel betrayed. They would feel broken. They would feel dismayed. They wouldn't understand. Jesus knew that they weren't ready for it. Jesus knew they weren't ready for it. But because he didn't give it to them, they were able to grow into this truth. Once they saw Jesus on the cross, once they saw Jesus buried in the tomb for three days, and once they saw Jesus resurrected before their eyes... James, by the way, was the first of the apostles to be martyred for his faith. Up until his last breath, there's a story of him sharing Jesus Christ with, a, with an unbeliever, with a Gentile. And as that's happening, a sword is going into him. James finally understood what it meant to experience glory the way Christ understood. John, the only apostle that was not martyred. Uh, but he was exiled. Uh, he was tortured. 
And he, was, he wrote a lot of the New Testament and is a, as an encouragement to the persecuted church. They both understood. They both understood what Jesus meant when he said, Mark 10, verse 43, 44, and 45, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. I love this. Jesus wasn't offended by James and John's request for greatness or for success. He didn't offend Jesus. What he knew is that they needed to have their definition of success, of greatness, redefined. And I think this is what is important for us to understand. That when we engage in this conversation with Jesus and we ask him with all honesty, not editing our requests, not editing our prayers, but we are just in faith saying, Jesus, this is what the desire of my heart is. We need to be ready to allow Jesus to redefine for us what's really valuable and what's worth wanting. Have you ever ever prayed for something Um, Like, you know, this is exactly what needs to happen in your life and you're, you're praying, you're praying earnestly and hard and you're, it's that, it's that kind of that risky prayer, right? But every time you pray, it just feels like your prayers just, just getting to the ceiling and then bouncing back down to you. It feels like God is not answering you. Right. And, 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 um, but then maybe uh, next season of your life, maybe a year or two later, you look back and you think, holy cow, if God had answered my prayer the way that I wanted that would have been a huge mistake is any anybody is it i i've i've been that in that place where where i feel broken and i'm 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 crying out to god to fix a broken situation that i'm in day after day and and, and though i couldn't hear the actual words i know when i look back on it jesus is saying you don't know what you're asking for but then you look back and you're like thank you jesus Because you had something so much better for me. You had something so much better for me. Thank you for not giving that to me. James and John, they didn't know really what they were asking of Jesus. And they didn't didn't even know how to ask for it. What they were asking for was a cheap imitation of the glory that Jesus ultimately had for them. And I, I love that Bartimaeus wouldn't settle for the cheap imitation. His cheap imitation would have been money. It might have been food. It may have been clothing. It may have been something else. But he said, no, I want all that you have for me, Jesus. Heal my sight. Heal my sight. I think the process that that we have to go through is, is learning to be like Bartimaeus and also like James and John. Where we've got to be risky in the things that we're talking to God about. We've got to be honest. We shouldn't edit our prayers. We need to be in earnest saying, God, this is the desire of my heart. This is what I want. I trust that you can answer this prayer for me. I trust that you will provide for me the way that you promised to. Just like Bartimaeus, but also like John to say, I'm also willing to allow you to say to me, you don't know what you're asking for. And then to have our response be, okay, So redefine for me, God, what's really worth wanting. Show me how what I'm asking for is a cheap imitation of what you ultimately have. Show me what's better for me. Change the desire of my heart. See, 
Jesus isn't about offering us simply what we want. He wants us to experience the very best, and he loves us too much to give us everything that we ask for. So our standards, our standards have for value, they have to be reset by Jesus. We have to wrestle with him about what our desires should be. But, but I think the first step of that is just being honest. Being honest to, to ask Jesus what our desires are and give permission to him to push back into us. So as we're going through this Lenten season... I want us to engage with these questions that we're asking throughout this series. This week, I hope that that you'll go home and at some point you will sit down with your Bible. You'll open it up to Mark chapter 10. You'll read these two stories again and then you'll say, all right, God, you're asking me, what do you want me to do for you? Let me tell you. And you might take out a pen and a paper and you'll start to begin that conversation with Jesus. You'll answer this question for for him honestly, openly. But also giving him permission to push back and to say, this is not what you really want. And allow that to become a dialogue, a real conversation between you and the maker of heaven and earth. God loves you too much to give you a cheap imitation. But we have to be willing to have a conversation with him so that we can understand what it is that he really wants to give us. So I want to encourage you this week. Like I said earlier, we're going to be sending out uh, different reflection questions, uh, opportunities for you to engage in this conversation with Jesus. And I, I hope, I hope that you'll take us up on it and just have a dialogue with Jesus. Let him ask you difficult questions. Share your earnest responses. Be open with him. Let's let's pray. God, we're, we're thankful that you can handle our truth. We're thankful that that you're not offended by our desires or the things that that we want. God, we're thankful that that you come to us first and you say, I want to start a conversation with you. What is it that I can do for you? God, I pray that we would be faithful enough, risky enough, willing to share our truth with you and that we would be humble enough to allow you to speak back into it. So that we can understand what's truly valuable in your economy. The things that are truly valuable that we should be seeking after, Lord. And I pray that that the conversations that we have with you would be vibrant. That they would be uh, fun. That they would be exciting. That they would be hope-filled. I pray for everyone in this congregation. pray for all of us here today that, that we would engage in this conversation. Realizing who it is that's asking us what he can do for us and that we would be willing to share it with you. So Lord, we thank you for your graciousness, for your patience, for your mercy. 
We thank you for the conversation. May we enter into it with you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.